Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, quick and dirty choosing a number two. Before we go on, I just want to remind folks of our September 24th Atlanta, Georgia Effective Manager Conference. If you've listened to all the podcasts, our one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, and delegation, and you're not quite doing it, well, the Effective Manager Conference is what you need. Details are on the website, www.managertools.com. Hope to see you there. All right, folks, here we go with the show. We must have said a number of times that each manager ought to have a number two, like a designated number two. So, you know, in yep. case they're incommunicado or on vacation or an offsite or a client side or whatever, we recommend right. that managers have someone who is named, right? Actually named to be in charge of the organization in their absence. But we've never really talked about how. <laughs> How to come yeah. up with a number two, right? Yeah. Which, you know, for some people, they might think it obvious, but it's not always. And No, it's not. And, yeah. and there's some things to think about. And actually, when we get into it, we're going to ask people to think about it in an order that they may not necessarily think about it first. Yeah. So we've got we've got uh, four recommendations. Actually, we've got four, four points for... Uh, steps in this cast. The first step is we want to talk for a minute about the primary reason, which is wrong, that most of us don't have a number two. And there are a whole lot of things that feed into it, but we think there's really a primary one. And then points two, three, and four are the first, second, and third criteria, criterion, I guess, which are performance, promotability, and relationships. Pretty straightforward, really. Interesting. Well, it's interesting that you you would mention performance first versus promotability, but let's, let's, yeah, well, yeah, but you know, that's, that's good. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It's, um, a lot of people assume they're most promotable person, but not, you know, not necessarily. <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> We're going to find apparently out not. why. <laughs> <laughs> so before we do that though, let's talk about the primary wrong reason. Most of us don't have a number two and this one's fairly easy, right? It's, it's folks don't delegate. And if you came to one of our effective manager conferences, you'd, know all about delegation, but yeah, in fact, we were just at a conference recently and, and I, you know, we were talking about the three S curves. Actually, I didn't mention the three S curves, but I was essentially saying to folks, look, if you're going to, if you want to be an executive someday, when you're a manager, you have got to learn how to delegate. The difference between managers and executives is the ability to delegate because executives don't really do as much as managers do. Um, that's that, that quote will be taken out of context. I'm sure. Um, Right, but yeah. Why is delegation so important to having a number two, though? That's that's what some folks may not get. Why is that so oh, important? That, yeah. Right. Well, what would be the ultimate delegation? The ultimate delegation is giving up all of our responsibilities to somebody who works for us, which is to name a successor or a number two. Even if it's temporary, if someone speaks in your absence, if someone takes over our role in our absence, which is what a number two does, uh, or a successor does, or an interim manager does, or an acting manager does. I lump all those in and call them a number two. You know, if, if we give up everything to them, then that's the ultimate delegation. And if managers don't learn how to delegate, then they're not going to be ready for it. They're, you can't go from nothing to all of a sudden, oh, here, here's my job. Um, people just won't be ready. And, it, and, it, and frankly, right, it won't be their fault. And, and look, here's the thinking that I think a lot of managers have. And, and I'm not going to 
I'm not going to say they're wrong because look, if you've been a manager for a couple of years and you're not, you're not, haven't been fired. Okay. You, you know, there's some evidence that you're doing okay. Right. And yet that feeling you have of, geez, am I really doing this right? Does somebody else know how to do it better? Or isn't there a better way? That's right too, because there is a better way. Um, you're probably an acceptable manager, but you're really not yet being highly effective. And of course, that's why we're here. Most managers see ourselves as working managers, right? The, the emphasis on that first word, working. In fact, the number of times that we've been told you can't do some of the manager tool stuff because, because that would only be true if you're a man, it just, you know, just a manager. But Mark, Mike, I'm a working manager. And, and the problem with that, of course, is that since the beginning of time, there have been very few pure managers in organizations. Rather, there have been working managers. And over time, because managers fear being wrong, nobody teaches us how to do it right. Nobody tells us how to delegate. But we're held completely accountable for things that people who work for us do. And we don't have the time to train them. And we don't have the time to hire them and so on. We end up making our jobs working managers rather than working managers, right? Our folks have their roles, right? I mean, the, the logic goes, our folks are in their roles. They have jobs. We have our job. We have plenty of work and they have enough work, obviously. Really, we don't even need to manage them really very much, right? If, if, if they're doing their job, we don't need to do their job for that. We don't need to give them more to do. Uh, you know, frankly, if the organization intended us to manage our folks, they wouldn't have given us so much to do ourselves. Right. Well, there's probably more to be said about, you know, what is it in managers' heads that prevent them from delegating? But let's be real clear, because I think you implied something, but didn't state it, state it right out, which is our folks, our number two, perhaps the, the person who's gonna, perhaps going to be our number two, is going to learn how to do that by actually doing the kind of work we do, right? I mean, it's the delegation that gives them the opportunity to do our work. And yeah. that's how they learn to lead. You learn to lead, you learn to manage by actually managing. Right. They can't do their job or they're all busy. So therefore, because they don't know how to do my job, I'm in my job and they're not. Therefore, I can't delegate because they can't do it, which is, of course, a catch-22. Because if we don't delegate, then they'll never learn how to do our job, right? Exactly. It's, look, it, there's a false assumption in all this, which essentially justifies, I think a lot of us use to justify our lack of ability. We're saying, I've got too much to do to manage my folks, part of which, right, is delegation. The whole idea that we've got too much to do is because we're not managing. One of the core skills of which in managing is delegation, right? If we want a shot as great at greatness as a manager, if we want to become really just an average executive, we have to be willing to trust our skills at managing other people, which is part of our job, whether it's the big part or the small part, and then we have to give them more work to do in order to allow us to actually find more time to manage. And when we find more time to manage, we'll get more effective at it. It's a, it's a nice little virtuous circle rather than the vicious circle of, you know, if you don't wash your clothes, they're never clean. And if you don't give your, any part of your job away, then your job will never get done by anybody else. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier uh, the about the S-curves, right? The three S-curves of right. of managerial careers. And, you know, there's that big one, though, when, when you get to be an executive. If you want to be an executive, if you haven't learned how to delegate, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Look, I think we have thousands of stories about delegation, and I, we've probably told a bunch of them relative to executives. One of my favorites, though, is about um, a former president of the U.S., President Eisenhower. Um, he got a note from his secretary of defense, Charlie Wilson, 
who was asking for his approval to reorganize parts of the Department of Defense. And Eisenhower is said to replied something along the lines of, look, no offense, but Charlie, that's why I've got you there to run defense. If you haven't noticed, I'm busy running the country. Right. 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 And um, you just want to say, look, somebody's got to do the job. And, and if I'm going to be able to be promoted, I can't be so good at my job that I'm indispensable. Yeah. Heck, movies make hay out of that. So, look, choosing a number two, choosing and acting an interim, uh, a successor, a, a temporary successor, whatever you want to call it, is a classic delegation move. If this cast encourages some of you to start delegating more so that you can begin to, to uh, name a number two when you're gone, so much the better. And basically what we're talking about here today is a simple way to get started. Good. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the criterion that we use to select a number two. I think we surprise a lot of folks here in w- when we talk about our first criterion because out of all the criteria out there, most folks would think about promotability, right? And right. we're going to suggest that performance, performance in their current role is the place to start. Yeah, it's always where we start. I mean, look, one of the differences between managers and executives is managers think that they need to make themselves promotable. And I can assure you that when executives are sitting around looking at baseball cards, um, looking at, at, at resumes, looking at one-pagers of junior managers or managers, what they look at first is performance. Look, since assigning someone as our number two is a kind of virtual or interim or no promises temporary promotion, we have to give a nod to the first criterion used in promotions, which is performance, right? We've got to look at how well the person we're talking about does their existing job. We're not talking yet about how well we think they can do our job at all. Look, there's always a chance that they can do their job brilliantly, and yet they can't do our job. But at this point, the first criterion is performance. All we're looking at now is their present job performance. If somebody is a top performer in their present role, they tend to be more likely to be named our number two among highly effective managers. If they're a weak performer, if they're below average, or perhaps if not even that good, right, they're unlikely to be considered as an interim number two. Yeah. And isn't it generally first or in virtually almost all evaluations of personnel in most organizations? Yeah, that's the thing. That's what I was getting at earlier. I didn't really say it, but yeah, I mean, everybody worries about promotion. I mean, this is one of the, one of our themes and you, you, we get challenged on this. You, you and I have talked about this before at conferences. We get challenged on, well, let's worry about managing up. Let's worry about relationships up. And there's so much being talked about in that regard. And oftentimes it's written by journalists who by definition, they have no, no one to manage down. And the only formal relationship they have is with their editor who is up. And so they think they should manage their editor. But look, it's silly to spend our time worrying or managing up when in fact we have so little, so little leverage. And really when senior people are looking at promoting folks, what they look at is performance. People change their focus about up. They, when they start thinking about up and getting promoted, they say, how can I become promotable? And every single executive on the planet, every single CEO who looks at hundreds and hundreds of her, exec, her executives and managers for promotion first says, how well are they doing in their present job? You don't get promoted if you turn in a bad year. You know, it's funny, but, but somebody gets promoted. Okay, let's think of it this way. Somebody gets promoted. The first thought, someone who knows the person and the role, the first thought they're going to have is either right choice because she's good at her job 
Or conversely, why him? He's not that good. They're not going to say, oh yeah, he's promotable. I can see why he's promotable. He's not that great at his job, but he's totally promotable. And, and part of it comes from, there are some positions in, in corp, larger corporations that are considered developmental positions. And you look at this guy and say, well, you know, gosh, he, oh, he got promoted because he was in a, in a development position. Well, no, actually he was in a development position, which helps. He had more responsibilities and he had good numbers too. Right. Okay. Okay. But let me play devil's advocate here a little bit because we've been, let's say we're in an IT organization. We have a lot of IT folks listening to us and oh, we're sure. a manager. Make it hard. Right. Make it hard. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Go ahead. Uh, right. so, okay. So we're a manager in this IT organization and I got a bunch of developers, programmers working for me. And guess what? Mary is the best programmer I got. And so she's great. And so we're going to make her a number two. She's the best performing performer I have. Right. But the only problem is she doesn't get along with anybody. Right. right. She has no relationships. She hasn't demonstrated any potential to lead folks. So right. your your logic here of, of, of looking at performance seems a little flawed, frankly. Well, yeah. Well, we didn't say they were we didn't say that if you get the first one you're in, we said there are three criteria and this is the first criterion, right? What you're suggesting is if we promote Mary, we end up with something we call the tragedy of the welder. Right. We've told that story before, and it's always good to remind ourselves of that. If we promote and really think about a number two assignment, if you will, uh, an announcement as a light form of interim promotion, if we promote based solely on performance, we might ask our best coder to be the coding supervisor, only to find out she has no interest in supervising. She has no aptitude for the administration and the people skills necessary for management success, and she fails. What you start with is performance. And you say, if I have 10 people and only three of them have sufficient performance for me to feel like they could be credible in a higher level job, then those are the three I start with out of my 10 to see if I can get down to one or even two that I could name as number two. Okay. So, so not necessarily the person with, with the best. If I have 10 coders and Mary is the best, best of them. She's not necessarily the pick. I mean, I, I, it's, it's really, is there sufficient performance? Is she a good performer or a great performer? Yeah, uh, yeah. Not necessarily the highest performer. Right. And, and so this is, a, this is a necessary criterion, but it's not a sufficient criterion, right? It's ne- we want necessary and sufficient. And so what we're looking for is let's look at performance and let's ask ourselves, who is a high enough performer that they will have credibility in a higher level job? We're not saying whether or not they have any of the skills necessary for the next job. We're not saying they want it. Right. And, and again, it doesn't have to be the number one, your point. And, and, and rightfully so. We're, we're not making that clear until you said it, which is if there are three people who meet the criterion, then they're all at least in the mix at this point until we take them to the next th- two okay. steps. Right. So, yeah. so Mary may be my, our number one. Great. But there may be two others that are good. And now, now look, we're, we're not saying that when you get done with this, that Mary, who's the best coder, doesn't say, I deserve the promotion, whereas Bob and Joe, you know, Joe's the one that got it, and I'm a better performer than him. And you know what? That's a case where managers don't do anything because they're fearful. They don't know what the right criteria are. And then they say, well, I'm afraid I won't be able to defend my decision. Or, you know, maybe I'll ask my boss to name somebody for me, which is a really bad idea. And so, Mary has a legitimate beef, she thinks, and she comes to us and we say, well, you know, sorry, there are other, other factors. And Mary says to the weaker manager, well, what are the other factors and why, why haven't you told me? And, and the idea here is what the first one is. 
If you think you've only got one who's meeting the performance standards and you want, probably you're a little bit wrong in that you're probably doing a horse race and the one who comes in first is the only one who goes the next step. That's not what we mean. We're looking at everyone and saying, is there someone, are there any, or is there anyone who is good enough? And we might end up with two or three or four. If you only have two or one, then that's a sign that you're not asking to, you're not asking your folks for better performance. You're not coaching, you're not developing, you're not meeting with them. You're not giving feedback and you're not developing them. Directs who get met with regularly, one-on-ones who might be good, directs who get feedback, directs who get coached, improve. And and if a manager is following the manager tools trinity and delegating, which of course is the silent fourth partner of the trinity, and does so for a year or two, there there is no question you're going to have more than one person who's going to have enough performance. So yeah, that, you know, you know what I like carry- you know what I like about you? You're always every time there's a problem with an organization, you're always Fixing responsibility on the manager. I, I swear. I, I mean, am. The fact that I only have one good performance. I mean, you know, <laughs> folks just worked a little harder. <laughs> I love it. You know, that's good. I, you know, that may be, that's one of those tombstones things. He blamed managers for everything. For every <laughs> ill in the world. It's some, some ma- poor manager's fault. Haven't we said before on air, layoffs are management's fault? We have. Right. And you know what's funny? I've heard that from managers. And they say, well, layoff, Mark, layoffs are management's fault. And I say, what makes you think that with a title like manager, you're not management? Right, exactly. Right? It's like, dude. No, the definition you're of it. Well, the definition of management is always management one level above me. But yeah, that's, one that's or two levels above. I'm gonna let you off the hook because it's oh, not gee, just a horse thanks. race. And so now we got out of ten programmers, we have three that we've identified that are good performers and kind of meet the criterion of performance. So after that, after performance, what do we look at next? Yeah, promotability. Now we start looking at upwards ability, right? And now in light of what we just said about performance being a key part of how promotions are considered, it might seem like a redundancy, but it's not. And and that's because every organization has its own area of interest that are looked at and culture and values and so on. And there certainly is a case to be made that anybody can serve as our number two in a very brief capacity if we're there. And that's really not an official number two. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Fact is, if we're going to announce someone as our interim manager, as our number two, the second question everybody asks themselves after they ask, hey, does the performance justify it? They ask then immediately, can I see that person as a manager full-time? Do they fit my general picture of that role? And perhaps most importantly, at some point, might they be ready to have that job fully? That, at that's some point? The second, at some point? Yeah, look, the, the import, that's an important phrase. Is that right if, now? If, well, no. No. Gosh, no. If you say they're ready right now then, gosh, if there are three people who are ready right now, then what are we doing holding them back? I know everybody says, oh, there are no promotions and everything else. Well, good point. that's a a good point because I I wouldn't want to say they're ready right now if my own job were at Jeopardy. So (laughs) (laughs) So. Our point is, let let me put it this way. If they're ready right now, good for you. And certainly they would be, if they're both high performers and they're promotable right now, at least in our minds, and let's hope the organization has given us some sense of that. Gosh, that's great. And, and surely they would then meet the first two criteria, right? I mean, right? all we're doing is naming a number two. Even if there are, look, if there are no promotion opportunities available, why don't we step aside when we're on vacation? Why don't we step aside every time we go to a conference or visit a client or whatever? Why don't we name somebody for a week to help them grow so that our guys look that much better when there is an opening? Right. Yeah. 
Well, I like this cri- this criterion because, you know, one of the things that uh, some managers don't think about is what's the impact on others? When I announce my number two, when it becomes clear who my number two is, how are others going to respond to that? Yeah, and that that's why we're talking about how others will ask themselves the question, can I see him in that role at some time? The true way to measure the criteria of promotability, the criterion of promotability is, do I believe they would be effective doing my job? And I'm not saying no, not to our level today, not highly effective, if, if we want to give ourselves the, the value of being highly effective, but would they be able to handle it at some level? And look, let's remember our, our improvement over the course of the last six months or a year, however long we've been in our job as a manager has been so gradual, so steady, so small, we don't even really notice the day-to-day difference other than we feel more confident now. But probably looking back at our first day, we stunk at the job compared to the way we're doing now. And so maybe the criteria ought to be, can they do the job as well as I did when I stunk at it? And the answer is probably yes. But that's a decision that every individual manager needs to make on their own. Now, look, the reason we ask this question about our sense of a candidate is because most often the skills required in our role are different than the skills of our directs, right? Going to the point of the tragedy of the welder story, welding by itself or our software coding, to, to your point about Mary, is it by itself are not good preparation for supervising welders or, write, or supervising code writers. It, it might be might be a credibility building job. Uh, it might give technical background, but welding and supervising, coding and supervising, just like filing and supervising, selling and supervising, engineering and supervising, they're all pretty darn different. Super. That's why we're here is because we believe the practice of management, the behaviors of management are different than the skills that they, they supervise. And so all we're saying here in criterion two, promotability, is after we assess performance, which is present level skill assessment, then we ask about future level skill assessment. And look, if we did find three out of our 10, then we ask ourselves of those three, who could do our job at some level? And let's rank them a little bit. Let's see who, who's better and who's who, who couldn't do it. Now, in your example, at this step, Mary rules herself out, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what I don't know. It's got to be the the one criterion that is missed by just about everybody. Oh, this and, is one. Yeah, and, right. and I alluded to it earlier. Um, and that's and that's relationships, right? We got somebody who's good at their present job, and they have some of the skills that they need to be able to do our job. And most folks think that's enough. But over and over, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. The thing we see where most number twos fail is not performance and not promotability. It's right because they think of those things. They know about those things, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's but it's relationships. They go out there, they have no relationships with the team or our peers, or they have frankly little interest in developing relationships yeah, with that's these the key killer. people. And they just fall flat on their face. Yeah. Even somebody with exceptional performance and promotability will struggle if they're saddled with bad relationship building skills or a disdain for working with others if they're asked to be a number two for up to a week. Right. At, at much longer than a week, um, they're really going to struggle because relationships matter. Unless you have profit and loss reportability, relationships are the coin of the realm among large organizations and, and quite frankly, small organizations as well in terms of managerial effectiveness. Now, look, all that said, it is possible that someone who is good at what they do has other skills of value in our role and who wants to be do, wants to do more can be developed by giving interim duties as our number two 
with the understanding that they're going to fail. Ooh, that's that's got to get some people. <laughs> We're going to put number two and, and expect them to fail. Yeah, look, and, and folks, if you recoil at just the idea of that, you're probably, I bet, I, I think Mike would agree with me, you're probably not much of a delegator. And what you want to do, you don't want the person to d- fail when they're your number two, when they're working as your number two, acting for you, interim manager. We want that to happen in small little bits when we delegate them a particular thing that they would be responsible for when they were our number two. We want them to do it in, in a small dose. And then we want to see it and we want to correct it. Maybe we coach them on it, something like that. Those of us who delegate have discovered that for all the little failures along the way, the growth that happens with those failures, the vast majority of time, far outweighs the risks. And it's easy to say, well, look, there's too much risk here. I'm not going to do it. And then you don't delegate and then no one's ready and other people's people get promoted and other managers get people get promoted and, and yours, ours don't. And you feel, you know, that you're impossible to replace. And in a sense, that's true. And the fact is there's risk in not delegating as well, but most of us don't see it. And at the senior levels, if your people are not seen to be being succeeding and to growing because of your intervention, they'll never put you in an executive role when all of your role is about managing others um, because they expect you to develop everyone. And if you're not doing it now, you're not going to do it later just because you got a big promotion. Yeah, that's a good point. What do you think about developing a number of folks? You know, I'm sure you've seen it where managers have rotated people through a number of positions throughout the team to develop their bench, so to speak, in terms of management. Yeah, l- look, well, I think we did a cast. It may, may be coming out in the future. I don't know. Uh, um, I know I've written a cast anyway about delegating the running of our staff meeting. I get asked about that a lot because I've mentioned it, I think, before, and we finally wrote the cast about it, where running the staff meeting has two parts, or being the manager of a staff meeting has two parts, the process of running the meeting, the agenda, the timeline, who's the deliverables, who's going to do what by when, and making sure we stay on track, and, and hearing from everybody, and so on. Right, that's but, the but you know, delegating and running the staff meeting, that's not the same as identifying a number two, right? Well, it's it's all part and parcel. If you delegate running of your staff meeting to one person or over time to everyone, they're learning how to run your staff meeting. If we delegate a particular client trip, they're learning how to go on a client trip. If we delegate them attending the boss's staff meeting, they're learning how to go to the boss's staff meeting. If we delegate part of the budget to them, that's how they learn to do budgets. Right. So if we want to, we can rotate given team members through given parts of our role. Well, we're available to supervise, not while we're on vacation, not while we're out of the office, just like we suggested with the team meeting. And I just go back to that point. There are two parts of the meeting, the process and the content. Managers who delegate the process, the running of the meeting to one of their directs, and then suddenly they get to free up 100% of their time to the content of the meeting, love it and never want to go back to run the meeting. And their people all very quickly become very good at running meetings because the boss is there and they know they better learn how to run the boss's staff meeting or they're never going to do it again. Yeah. So if you delegate enough of your responsibilities that folks have a chance to rotate it and learn those skills, then you have a number of folks that might be able to step into that number two role. And that, my friend, is where the problem is, because now you got a bunch of people perhaps ready for a promotion and you only got one spot to to hand out. So what do you do then, big guy? God, God forbid, right? Having a bunch <laughs> of people ready to get promoted. Didn't you say once, I, I don't know if it was on air, maybe it was at a conference, that literally there were four or five promotions in a year, year and a half time frame, and every single one of them went to one of your directs. 
And of yeah. course, then, of course, everybody who was any good wanted to come to you. And everyone at the top said, Ozan knows how to delegate, knows how to develop people, right? And how did you do that? You had great people to begin with and you delegated like crazy. You held them accountable and you trusted them and they made mistakes and you got in trouble for them. And sure, I did. Yeah. Tr- we all get in trouble anyway, right? Yeah. So, now you're giving yeah. away my dirty little secrets. So, yeah, right. So, look, it's not exactly naming number two to give away part of our job while we're there, but it's a step in the right direction and that's delegation. And in the future cast, we'll suggest a couple of other escalating tasks or activities that can be delegated and or be part of our number two's role that will um, make it easier to, to move the transition from just being a supervisor to being a manager and hopefully one day to being an executive. Excellent. Oh, that was short, but man, yeah. this is a sweet cast. Yeah. So look, primary reason most of us don't have a number two is because we don't delegate enough. And then we have three criteria. Uh, three criteria. Performance. You got to do your job well. And anybody who does their job well is still in the running at that point. And then promotability. Do we believe they could do our job? And would others see them see them potentially doing our job? Not necessarily terribly well, but that they have the ability to do it at some point. And then lastly, relationships. That's something people miss. You've got to assess not only what kind of relationships they have, but do they have the interest and ability in growing, maintaining and growing them if they were in the role? You know, do those three things after you've begun to delegate, you know, look at those three things after you've begun to delegate and you will go on vacation. You'll have a number two and you'll come back and discover that there won't be a big pile on your desk because somebody else has done it. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. (laughs) All right, my friend. Thanks, partner. We'll see you. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And we'll see you all again back here next week. Meantime, have a great one. So long.